0: good afternoon from london everyone you're here for this afternoon's fs club webinar entitled how capitalism could save the planet my name is simon mills i'm an associate at zien and in a minute i will guide you through this afternoon's proceedings and introduce you to our guest speaker Tim Moen, the Chief Sustainability Officer at Persephone AI. But before we begin, I'd just like to offer a word of thanks to our sponsors who not only give us a wide-ranging brief for these webinars to wander through the halls of politics, economics, science and history, but also allow us to open them to the public. If you'd like to know more about the FS Club, do drop us a line. Now, The format for today's webinar is quite straightforward. You'll be shot of me in a minute and hear from today's star term Tim, following which there will be some time to explore some of the issues that Tim is going to raise in more depth. This webinar is going to be recorded so you can revisit it or any of our previous webinars on our website. If you've got any questions that you would like to put to Tim, please use the question tool on the right-hand side of the screen. I'm gonna be consolidating your questions during the course of Tim's speech, and I will put them to him at the end of his talk. And so to today's speaker, Tim Moen is a luminary in the field of sustainable development, having worked on environmental policy within the US Senate and the US EPA, as well as advising some of the world's largest and best-known companies on sustainability and social responsibility. He recently stood down as Chief Executive for the Global Reporting Initiative and is now Chief Sustainability Officer for Persephone AI, one of the world's most respected carbon footprint management platforms. Tim, tell us how capitalism is going to save the planet.
1: Well, first of all, thank you, Simon. Uh, Thank you to all the participants online. And if uh, you're anything like me, uh, this will be your 5,975th video conference of the year uh, where at least somebody says you're on mute. Uh, so hopefully we can, uh, we can be a little bit more crisp than that today. Um, I am busily trying uh, to display my slides, and hopefully that's working at some level, uh, and then we can get started. Uh, First of all, I wanted to comment on the title of today's presentation, How Capitalism Could Save the Planet. Um, Wow, what an ambitious title that is. Uh, I'm not sure I can live up to it, but I will do my best uh, in uh, this conversation. Um, As Simon mentioned, I have um, a fairly long career in this space, and uh, I want to sort of start there to, to help set a little bit of context for you. Um, You know, I started as a a regulator because back in those days, we didn't have the words sustainability, perhaps one of the most overused and yet underdefined terms in in today's parlance. Uh, We we were basically, you know, the, the intermediaries between industry and environmental groups and trying to create the best regulation that we could uh, and that's that's how this whole movement got started. was was basically command and control, if you will. Uh, I moved on from EPA to the Senate because I thought this is how you make a bigger impact. Uh, but then the the P word got involved politics, uh, at which point I realized that perhaps I was wrong in that pursuit because many good ideas uh, in policy get uh, trumped by uh, politics uh, words chosen precisely. Um, anyway. Uh, Moving on, I decided to to go to the private sector um, because things had changed, Uh, and and that's where our conversation today really begins. Uh, The private sector really can be a force for good, Uh, and when I moved from the government to the private sector, a lot of my friends and colleagues said, you've sold out. Man, you're working for the man, you know. and, and I said, no, 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 you don't really understand. Um, Intel, which was my first employer after the government, will meet, will beat, they'll exceed any environmental standard you throw at them. Um, all they really need is less red tape. They need speed. They're in a hyper competitive market. This is an agenda I can get behind. Uh, and so I, I moved over to Intel and then uh, started to work in this agenda. And that's where my career stayed for 20 years, Uh, as the world of sustainability started to take root, you saw more and more companies start to do voluntary things to really express how they're moving beyond uh, regulation and compliance and into the space of corporate social responsibility. Now, that term is is also overused and underdefined. What does it really mean? Uh, It means that companies are trying to do their best, because they know that it affects their reputation, their brand, their employees. Everything they do is manifest through this lens, which actually can be quite inspiring. All of a sudden, it's like the population woke up and decided this is important, and we are going to hold big companies, especially, uh, responsible for the actions that they take throughout their value chain. And that last point is really where it got interesting, When I moved over to Apple, Apple was on the front page of the New York Times uh, for uh, quote-unquote sweatshop conditions in their supply chain. Uh, I was the first employee in the door on that issue and and built the entire team to address uh, what were, in fact, uh, serious labor and human rights issues in the supply chain. Um, And so, as you see, the, the, the scope of these issues started to expand, and the breadth of the issues through the value chain began to expand. Uh, With AMD, I had the entirety of corporate responsibility, which was ethics and diversity and human rights and supply chain and environment and everything else. But the golden thread that ties them all together was transparency, Uh, working on disclosure, if you will, of what companies do in this space. And uh, in my last role at, at GRI, Um, I was the chief executive of the oldest and largest sustainability standard setter, the group that actually presents uh, uh, the standards that most companies use to disclose what they're doing on these very many aspects of sustainability. And so that gives you a little bit of the sense of where I'm coming from. Uh, Also along the way, I decided to write a book. Uh, The reason I wrote a book was quite interesting. I, I worked with a lot of young people, college students, et cetera. And it's quite inspiring, they all wanna do what I do, but to be quite honest, they have no earthly idea of what it really entails. Uh, So I felt uh, uh, duty bound and obligated to write it all down, uh, which I've done, and I still teach this book in several universities around the world. Um, So getting into the topic a little bit more now that we've set that context, uh, is is the overall context of what I was just saying. Uh, The times they are changing, as Bob Dylan once said, uh, we went from the Cuyahoga River catching fire, the, the songbirds pushed to the brink of extinction, uh, uh, Rachel Carlson's book, Silent Spring, to this command and control era that I was talking about earlier. And now uh, this area of reputation and brand, uh, some would, might even call it greenwashing. Uh, I would say a lot of good has been done in this space, but I can understand the point of view where we may have gotten a little bit out in front of our skis on some of the commitments and ambitious uh, goals that have been set. Um, but having said this, where it's now heading is um, investments. investors around the world have become very, very interested. And now you see this, this eye-popping statistic of 40 trillion, that's a with a T, uh, U.S. dollars invested in, in some sort of fund that's involved with ESG, environmental, social, and governance. That is a huge number and it's moving to over 50, according to Bloomberg, by 2025. Uh, Just last year, we saw a 50 billion net inflow into ESG managed funds. That's 2x what it was in 2019 and 10x, 10 times what it was in 2018. So obviously there is a big movement towards capitalism and sustainability. It's no longer a nice to do, must do. It's become a mainstream issue with investors around the world. But it wasn't always this way. Uh, 50 years ago, Milton Friedman said, anybody involved with corporate responsibility is a socialist. And uh, we all know how he felt about socialists. So this was not a good thing. But 10 years ago, Uh, Michael Porter, a very famous uh, Harvard business professor and his his partner, Mark Kramer, created a different paradigm called shared value. That corporate responsibility is not philanthropy. It's not just giving things away. It's actually doing good while doing well. It's providing some value back to the corporation and that makes it much more a part of business. And then just this year, Larry Fink, uh, a noted capitalist, maybe not so much a noted environmentalist, uh, said that the companies that have a articulated strategy in his in uh, his issue is climate change uh, will distinguish themselves with their stakeholders and shareholders, and companies not having such a strategy will see their business valuations suffer. Uh, two weeks after this, uh, his his famous letter, and I, I find myself uh, having to check my values because I. I wait uh, with anticipation every year for uh, this noted capitalist uh, missive every year because it's now sort of sets the tone for all of us. But two weeks after he he set this out this year, he said uh, that that Larry uh, Larry said that they would vote their shares against uh, boards that didn't follow this guidance. Now think about that. this is this is a company managing over eight trillion us dollars assets under management. They own a piece of just about every corporation, publicly traded corporation on the planet. That is not a small statement. And in fact, you're seeing now uh, activists, uh, shareholder proxies, resolutions that are picking up institutional votes more and more often. That never used to happen in the past. So clearly we're seeing a mainstreaming. So it used to be called an oxymoron, is it still? Is it a force for good? That is the question we will examine today. I think what we've seen over time as I've been involved in this issue is it really started from that basic license to operate. Do you have your permits? Are you legal? And that was quite a struggle at the time. Now it's gone to this brand and reputation and voluntary action, which I think is largely where it still is today, but where it's heading is into the space of shared value which I think is really manifestly different than where it's been and will bring some significant rewards to companies along the way. But again, like any good story, it starts with the beginning. And the beginning here was, probably some of you remember, the the Exxon Valdez. This was 1989 when it was, at that time, no longer, uh, the world's largest oil spill in pristine waters uh, off Alaska. And after that, environmentalists were pretty, well, they were they were ticked off, and uh, wanted to know more about what companies were doing in this space. So, we had the Valdez Principles, which was, again, a voluntary code of environmental conduct. And it formed a group called Ceres, Coalition for Environmentally Responsible Economies, uh, founded soon after the disaster. Ceres is still around today, much bigger, even uh, more powerful than it was back then, uh, but they were driving for corporate transparency. Again, that's the golden thread throughout. And that created the Global Reporting Initiative, the group that I I most recently ran, and they spun off over 20 years ago uh, into an independent organization that still exists today and is the largest uh, corporate transparency, sustainability-oriented group uh, by adoption by corporations on the planet. So they continue to this day. The theory of change back then was that with more transparency, uh, stakeholders uh, will will take notice and will improve performance. The difference today is that stakeholders have been joined by investors. Now, are investors doing this because they want to save the planet? Uh, I'm sure some of them do. But, uh, it, you know, they're, they're also incentivized a very different way and they're trained a very different way. And so while some of them surely have uh, sustainability in their hearts, I think many of them see Value in what has been uh, termed mainly a voluntary pursuit of good across the world. So that's where we find ourselves. The other issue that we struggle with in this space is ESG, environmental, social, governance, sustainability. Again, overused, underdefined. What is this term? How do we know what it means? Well, it actually does have a meaning. It covers a very broad range and an expanding range of topics. When I ran uh, the Global Reporting Initiative, we had 34, 34 topic-specific standards. Uh, And they range from everything that um, could be uh, social issues, economic issues, environmental issues, but they're actually quite detailed. And so when you dive into it, you'll find that each standard has requirements, it has recommendations, it has guidance. And again, uh, thousands and thousands of companies each year are, in fact, using the GRI standards to create voluntary reports on what they've been doing in the sustainability space. So this notion that it's undefined is actually not true. It is very well defined and it has been for some time. Uh, This is a graphic representation of what I just said, Uh, a little bit more detail the universal standards, sort of talk about what a company is doing, what business they're in, the management systems they use. And then you get into these 34 topics. The difference has been that companies largely can select which topics they actually think apply to them, uh, much different than financial reporting that is starting to change. We're starting to see the European Union and other regulators mandate certain environmental topics that will be universally required for disclosure. And again, we can get into some discussion about what those are uh, and what changes are coming. But until then, I think the world looks a little confusing to many. Uh, We see that there are multiple organizations that offer frameworks or standards, uh, and they are listed here. I've I've talked about GRI enough. There's the CDP, the formerly known as the Carbon Disclosure Project. Uh, TCFD, some viewers may know this one. It's the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. And this one is really on fire now. It's going to be required disclosure in the United Kingdom and other countries this year. Uh, and if you haven't sort of followed this, what's very interesting about it is it didn't spring from activism. It actually came from the G20 Financial Stability Board. Another indication that sustainability has sort of crossed over from that activism space into the mainstream space when the world's largest economies identify climate change as such an existential threat that it could destabilize. Uh, financial markets across the world. And they created the TCFD, and now the TCFD is becoming a mandatory disclosure. And you see others here, um, SASB, integrated reporting, CDSB. Notably, these organizations are more recent, and the reason they've come onto the scene is to service the investor market. They produce standards and frameworks that are specifically tailored to the needs of capital markets and investors. And that's, uh, again, a sign of, of where things are going. Notably on the right side, uh, I just put this up here because um, these organizations are often uh, lumped in and therefore confused with uh, the, the organizations on the left that offer frameworks and standards. This, um, These organizations really are representative of an entire industry that has been spawned from Uh, the the development of ESG. So Bloomberg, the largest, uh, aggregates and and creates this information, uh, sells it. Refinitiv does the same thing. And then you have a whole bevy of analysts that provide rankings and ratings. Uh, These organizations try to sort out the very many disclosures and provide uh, analytics to the market. Again, these are for-profit organizations. And again, there's uh, many different questions that we can get into. But before we move on, uh, let's do a little audience participation here and see after uh, that um, that discussion uh, about a poll question. Uh, and maybe Peter, you can help me with this. Uh, how likely are environmental and social issues to be incorporated in a mainstream of business and investment decisions? Is it greenwash? Is it reputational? Uh, is it uh, likely to become a concern for all public companies and uh, should WISE companies be doing this already? So those are the answers. Uh, please go ahead and uh, start the poll now, and we'll we'll cover the results in a, in a moment.
0: I think Tim, the audience is almost 50% voted now. I'll just leave it open for a few more seconds to uh, let everyone answer. There we go, coming up to about 80% now. I'll leave it open for a few more seconds, and uh, I'll just display the results now for you.
1: Ah, there we go. Vice companies should already be managing these issues. Uh, well, I couldn't agree more, so thank you. Uh, I think we have the right audience for this, or else my uh, my presentation was more convincing than I thought. So uh, thank you for that. I much appreciate the uh, vote of confidence. Uh, so let's talk a little bit and finish up on kind of what's next. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is uh, from uh, the great one, Wayne, Gret- Gret- Wayne Gretzky, if you follow. Uh, ice Hockey, where he said uh, the secret to his greatness was he skates to where the puck is going, not to where it's already been. So where is the puck going? Uh, we talked a little bit about the trend lines from shareholder value to shared value to stakeholder capitalism, which is uh, we didn't cover, but the, the uh, business roundtable made a shift in 2019 from shareholder primacy to stakeholder primacy, which is a pretty big shift to institutional activism, which is a really big shift because it involves a lot of money uh, that can vote against uh, the board of directors, as I mentioned earlier, to this area of convergence with financial disclosure converging uh, with ESG disclosure, which is really where things are going now. And now we're, we're circling all the way back to new regulation. We're seeing regulations come out of the European Commission and the Securities and Exchange Commission Uh, So in a number of other jurisdictions around the world. So this has a lot of implications. There are new mandates, as I just mentioned. Uh, This global convergence will start to, we hope, uh, create a single common language for how we disclose these very many topics. So they're comparable, they're assurable, they're auditable. And then finally, this is all being driven by investor pressure. Uh, And we're seeing everything from the institutional investor activism I mentioned to a price on carbon. Uh, And if you're in the U.S., uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, is is clearly going to start using its enforcement authority here. So, a couple of things to really pay attention to. Um, The headlines largely reflect this. Uh, These are all very recent headlines in terms of the uh, convergence, the new regulations we talked about, and the asset flows into ESG, uh, all very recent and, uh, honestly, only getting more and more dynamic. How does this affect companies? Uh, One of the things we haven't discussed thus far is value. A lot of times we look at this issue as a cost of doing business, a compliance, a check the box, if you will. Um, One of the things from my many years of working in companies that I find quite inspiring is that young people, Millennials, we call them sometimes, or Gen X, Gen Y, I've lost track, uh, really care about what a company does in this space. And we did a study when I worked at AMD, we we tried to cross match the employees that got involved involved with volunteerism uh, with the engagement scores for those employees, and we found a very high correlation. So when employees participate in a cause at work, then work tends to become their cause. So it's just one example of where companies can find value instead of just treating this as a check the box. And that'll be the final word on this. And looking at this whole area, it's confusing. There's a lot of change in the wind. But as a company, uh, when you consider this, of course, we all want to do good in our careers. We want to leave a legacy of good But also going back to the shared value message, uh, companies are not charities. Companies are for profit institutions and they need to create some value that that then creates that cycle of value and doing good in the world. And I think that's a good place to end it. Uh, I do see that capitalism is beginning to align with sustainability. It's not the way it was when I started my career. And it's a wonderful thing to see after many years of working in this space. So I wanted to say thank you to the hosts, the participants, and everybody who's involved in this. Uh, I'm super excited to do this. This is another example of sustainability going mainstream. There I am at the NASDAQ uh, ringing the bell uh, a couple (laughs) of years ago with GRI, and I'd love to get into a a robust Q&A. I've provided a few um, more recent and relevant articles on some of the topics that I've covered here as a resource for you as well. So thank you very much.
0: Wow, that was uh, really inspiring, Tim, and we've got a host of questions from our audience, but I'm actually going to take Chairman's privilege to ask the first one. Um, The world is still suffering through a pandemic, and you've mentioned this, one effect of which was the the postponement of, of COP26 from 2020 to later this year given the seismic shift in the political landscape of the us what do you think uh, a positive outcome for cop26 might look like and has covid-19 saved the planet <laughs>
1: well those are those are two uh, very big but related questions um, uh, i'll start with the second one first you know why, why are we in this uh, dynamic phase uh, the pandemic had a lot to do with it uh, let's face it, we're all in this uh, together, and it brought up a number of issues that were perhaps further down the priority list before. Issues of uh, worker health, uh, working remotely, uh, even racial diversity came onto the screen quite quickly. And and all of this sort of came together uh, as we're hopefully exiting the pandemic into some of the Build Back Better uh, infrastructure and stimulus packages that you're seeing across the developed world, which is quite interesting because it goes along with the political shift that we saw in the US uh, coming along with Europe, which has never really shifted its views on sustainability. So all of this is coming together and heading towards COP26. A couple of weeks ago, we saw President Biden bring together 40 40 heads of state, uh, most of which made some ambitious claims Uh, for reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. So as we head into COP26, there's this pent-up demand. There's these other issues, these environmental, if you will, issues uh, that have all shaped this towards being a very impactful meeting. And what does that mean? So I'll I'll look in my crystal ball. Everybody has their own views, of course. Uh, I think you're going to see these commitments become mandatory and enforceable, uh, and that will be big changes for companies. Uh, I've already talked about TCFD becoming a mandate in the UK. I think you'll see it becoming a mandate in many other jurisdictions. I I also believe that um, the TCFD framework, the the global, let's say, common language for carbon disclosure will also get incorporated into your financial disclosures. So what does that mean? That means more technology for figuring out how to disclose that, more uh, auditing and assurance behind that information all of the things that you do now for your financial disclosure will extend to climate. And that will be the camel's nose under the tent. Then we'll start to see other issues that I mentioned before about human capital uh, start to to bring in behind that. Uh, so that's where I really th- see things going.
0: Hmm. Well, several of our audience have asked questions about standards, particularly on Uh, reporting, and we really seem to be entering a period of of standards wars at the moment, uh, a veritable alphabet soup of standards, and this is actually causing some confusion, what to report and and how to report. So how do we actually create a reliable global standard for reporting on sustainability and climate change, similar to, to financial disclosure?
1: Yeah. And, and I love your characterization of standards wars, because I feel like I have got some scars from the wars. Uh, <laughs> having been uh, one of the generals on the field uh, until quite recently, um, you know, it's quite interesting. I love to tell stories. So I'll start with the story. When I when I took over as uh, head of GRI, I, I met with one of the competitors, the SASB, Sustainability Accounting Standards Board. And um, you could have cut the tension with a knife. Uh, you know, we we were head to head, and I, I sort of called a timeout and I said, guys, we're all after the same thing. We want to make the world better through business. Uh, we have a different way of going about it and a different theory of change, and those different theories of change are actually complementary. So why are we competing? Uh, we should collaborate. Today, fast forward, you see this collaboration going forward. Uh, CDP, GRI, SASB, the whole alphabet soup is working together, which is great. But I'm going to tell you right now, and this may be controversial to some, it, it's, it's necessary but not sufficient. Uh, necessary in that all of that body of work is fantastic and it needs to come together. But sufficiency will only come when when the IFRS, which is a, a recognized global body for standards, really starts to adopt this. And they have said they will. Uh, They're in a, a working group right now, which will culminate in September, for how they will incorporate climate into their set of financial standards. They're creating a new sustainability standards board. They're developing the governance around that. All of this is happening real time, but in my view, not fast enough. And last thing I'll say is it's not clear the outcome yet, because you have the European Union has just released a proposal Uh, for developing their own set of ESG standards. Now, if the European Union does that, well, the U.S. will do it, and Asia will do it, and then you have IFRS over here going, what the heck? Uh, so, So, you know, we could just repeat the alphabet soup again if we're not careful. This will take political leadership. It will take heads of state to say, nope, we're going to all do this in one way so that we have comparability, which will open up, trade and capital flows across the world that are increasingly being manifest through ESG issues.
0: Mm. Oh, now this is an interesting one. How should executive remuneration schemes change to incentivize managers to achieve ESG goals?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think that, uh, you know, I go back to my days at Intel, we actually started to have Our bonus formulas um, incorporate uh, sustainability matters uh, many years ago. And then it became, you know, a committee of the board of directors. Intel is probably more precocious and mature than than many companies. But this has been around for some time. And I do think it is important to align incentives. Uh, We're all motivated by incentives. And let's face it, if it's not in your incentive scheme, it's easy to uh, ignore in the flood of other activities that you have on your plate. So I do believe that that is an essential element of corporate responsibility. But uh, the KPIs need to be real. Uh, It can't be greenwashing. Um, And there's been a couple of articles written recently about all of the quote unquote, net zero claims, Uh, not a week goes by without another net zero claim. What are these claims? Uh, Are they accountable? Are we seeing the KPIs? Are we seeing the interim uh, milestones and the strategies that are behind these claims? Uh, It's that kind of thing where you really get down to the, the brass tacks, the management systems that will lead to change that need to be incorporated into executive compensation.
0: Mm. Now, you mentioned the the $40 trillion invested in SRI funds. What impacts do you think that is going to have? Are we going to see progress towards net zero? Is this really, you know, window dressing?
1: Great question, Simon. I I do think that um, right now we're in danger of window dressing. Uh, The European Union uh, often, you know, first mover when it comes to these issues, have just recently, issued a sustainable finance taxonomy which I think is going to be a game changer it's a game changer because so many funds because it's so popular are are sort of wrapping themselves in green uh, and without a lot of meaning definition kPIs as I mentioned before key performance indicators uh, it, it's just you know window dressing as you said so I, I truly believe that that movement is happening in parallel to all of the discussion we just had about the, the business enterprises. The financial services enterprises will be held to account uh, for, you know, their statements of being uh, a sustainable fund.
0: Mm investor activity is great but it really feels like some customers are are demanding esg performance from from suppliers is that more powerful have you actually got any examples of 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 esg being pushed through supply chains (laughs) i do
1: i lived it at apple um you know this is a great issue because there's there's two parts to it there's the the b2b Uh, you know, the buyer-supplier relationships, and then there's the B2C, the business-to-consumer. In the business-to-consumer space, you know, we've seen that for a long, long time. Uh, Companies making claims, uh, those claims being questioned, uh, consumer behavior not really matching what they they respond to in surveys and polls, uh, you know, and that issue will only continue. I think the the trend, if you will, is, is all good in that companies are being held to account by their consumers and that drives a certain amount of behavior there's always going to be that 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 layer if you will of um greenwash around it but in the center is is a a positive trend towards doing good on the b2b that is a much more impactful uh area and and the reason i say that is in my world uh, working with apple you know i got I got in there at a time of crisis, and I remember meeting with uh, Tim Cook and uh, Jeff Williams and other people who run the company now, and they basically said, here's a plane ticket to China. Go fix this. And I went, oh, okay. Uh, you know, over my head, far from shore, uh, terrified. Uh, you have, you know, industries that are uh, factories that had hundreds of thousands of workers who not only work there but live there. Uh, you know, and it's a very different paradigm than what we uh, in the West are used to. And and my job was to fix it, you know, to, to bring it to some international code of conduct. Um, and so, again, I lived it, and it works extremely well. Uh, when you have the market power of a company like Apple, it works even better. Uh, but when you don't, uh, there are organizations that provide coalitions across sectors and even uh, within sectors Uh, to drive the combined buying power towards an international code of conduct. And the the Responsible Business Alliance, I used to be the chairman of the board, uh, is is a great example of that, where companies can come together and and basically drive the entire supply chain towards labor, human rights, environmental compliance. And the last thing I'll say on this is is when you look into the supply chain, you're going to be shocked at what you find. Uh, Many companies, even the most high-tech companies uh, providing some of the most expensive products in the world have uh, forced labor and human rights issues in the supply chain. Uh, And I was shocked myself when I first discovered this. But you have to look, you have to find, and you have to correct. So the B2B uh, can be an incredible resource for companies and uh, work through coalitions Uh, is also a valuable tool to do that.
0: You've also got to be careful, Tim. I've got uh, a couple of woke teenage daughters who have turned against fast fashion, which is is very commendable. But millions of garment workers in in Bangladesh are being put into destitution because... The garment factories are, are no longer able to sell into to rich Western markets, so I think it, you know, it has to be very much a process of evolution and, and working hand in hand with suppliers, as you said, uh, rather than you know just a, a, a straight cut off.
1: I agree, and I'll, I'll go one better. I mean, we we had
0: um,
1: our big, our most violated standard was the work hours standard. And so I'm in these factories and actually slept in the dorms with the workers. So you feel what it was like. Um, and I was enforcing this this most violated rule of 60 hours a week. Sounds like a lot, right? Well, it was the most violated rule because these workers wanted money. Uh, they were from impoverished backgrounds. It was actually quite, quite laudable. I mean, they, they wanted to work as hard as they could to save up as much money and send it home. Uh, and, and so I'm telling them, no, no, you have to stop at 60. And they were like, well, I could get double time or time and a half if I keep working. I'm like, yeah, but that's too much. Uh, and, and at some point you do have to say too much. So it's, there's always a, a balance. You know, child labor was, was 16 years old. Well, you, you're going to send a 15-year-old home who was making a good living? Um, you know, those are the kind of dilemmas that you find yourself in when, when poor people are trying to make a living for themselves, and you have to, in, in, in you know, how you have to basically bring the standards to the organization.
0: Absolutely, uh, we've got time for a couple more questions. Is carbon pricing going to be a world-moving factor?
1: Yes, it is. Uh, you will see. Uh, I think it was yesterday's press that your uh, Europe is now at fifty dollars a ton and rising. Uh, the U.S. is very similar. Uh, you're going to see a price on carbon, and that will further enhance what I've been talking about for this last few minutes, which is this mainstreaming of sustainability into global capitalism. Uh, When you can monetize something, and carbon is particularly uh, susceptible to monetization, not everything, like the issues we were just talking about, child labor, forced labor can be monetized easily, but carbon can be. And and when you have a price on something, then we know the value. We can trade it. Uh, There's all sorts of different ways that you can reach a better outcome for greenhouse gas emissions and overall the climate crisis. Uh, So absolutely. Um, The biggest issue there right now is the issue of offsets. Uh, Let's face it, companies are incentivized to grow. Growing means more greenhouse gas emissions, not less. And so how do they mitigate their overall impact? Well, they buy offsets. Uh, The offset market has been a bit murky and needs to be much more defined so that we're not buying, let's say, fake offsets, but they're real reductions, and they're sold one time, and they're additional to everything else that is going on. So that is an area that I think is, is really integral and super important to an active and workable carbon market.
0: And fungibility between carbon uh, carbon market schemes as well, because I, I think we're going to see a definitely going to see a, a growth of them. China's got one of the largest in the world. You've got the European Union, and, and I'm sure that the 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 US is going to resurrect their their carbon market as well. So yeah, interesting times going forward. Um, there is one final question that I think we've got time for, and this is Persephone AI is named after Persephone, the wife of Pluto, queen of the underworld. Would you like to explain why you chose that name? Um, well,
1: I didn't choose it, but I did look into it. And like all Greek gods and goddesses, the backstory is not a good one. Uh. (laughs) I think that uh, Persephone uh, also was associated with renewal and spring, and that's why it was chosen. Uh, But, you know, to be serious for a minute, I think that, you know, in all of my years working in all of those large and leading companies, you know, the way we did carbon disclosure was after the fact with spreadsheets running around trying to tick the box, you know, okay, this is what happened last year. This is no way to manage a resource. If we're gonna get into carbon trading, if it's an integral to your financial performance and risk, then we need to have enterprise reporting of carbon. Uh, every transaction that runs through a company, like a, like a river of data running through a company in terms of purchasing and, and power and uh, fleets and travel, all of that has a carbon impact. And so by applying our best technology to those transactions, we can give you not only a real time snapshot of what's going on in your company, but also forecast it out into the future. This is what we do for financial systems today. And this is the only way that companies are going to be able to manage the resource and create value for themselves in doing so. So that's what uh, Persephone beyond the the Greek God reference uh, really
0: means. Fantastic. Tim, thank you so much for a fascinating and insightful chat. Unfortunately, time has flown and we must say farewell. There is just time to thank our sponsors once again. And if you're minded to eat your greens, there are two further green themed webinars this week tomorrow you can hear about the role of green financial centers in fighting climate change. And on Friday, you can hear about financing the transition to net zero. Uh, Next week, we've also got webinars on compassionate leadership and the perils of digital identity. Please find out more on our website. Tim, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you all. It's been a pleasure. Have a wonderful week.